we're going to jump right into this message. Um, the world that we live in today is going through a lot, right? We see it's obvious there's a serious lack of love issue in the world that we are in today. I mean, just watching television could be exhausting at times. You know, it could be tough to watch the news and to hear everything that's going on. And just to keep it real, we're singing, and we're praising God in here, but literally right outside these doors, there are people hurting, crying. We could be here praising God, and that's amazing, and we have a thousand reasons to be doing that. But right outside these doors are people who aren't feeling the same way. They're going through things. We turn on the TV, we see hate, prejudice, racism, sexism. We see commercials that are created to make you discontent with your life. We see people dying, whether it's from gunshots or diseases that they couldn't afford to have treated. Dying from a disease that you couldn't afford, not, that, not because there's no cure, but because you couldn't afford to have it treated. Instead of sympathy, we hear excuses. I mean, we just had this Hurricane Matthew, I mean, in Haiti alone, said over 800-plus people have lost their lives. Within our church, the evangelist couple and a lot of the disciples have lost their homes. Lost their homes. Florida, the Carolinas, I mean, people are going through things. There are people hurting all over the world. And right here in the Bronx, there are people hurting. Instead of running to other people for support, counsel, and love, instead of running to Jesus for support, counsel, and love, there are people running to alcohol, drugs, whether prescription or narcotics. There's people running to these things for temporary relief. Just, just to, to numb themselves from feeling and going through the things that they have to feel on a daily basis right now. This is someone's reality. At this very moment, this is someone's reality. Things are not okay. Things are far from okay. Love is growing colder and colder. There is no peace in this world. There is no peace in this world right now. But everyone's waiting for it, right? Everyone's waiting for peace to come. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36, the Bible reads, this is Jesus, and the words he's about to share here are pretty intense. But I want us to kind of listen to this and read through this, and we're going to dissect a little bit of this as we go forward. Verse 36, Jesus says, But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in, those day, for in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing 
about what would happen if Terah's flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill, one will be taken, the other will be left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He wouldn't have left. He would not and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is faithful and wise and a wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at a proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. But truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware and he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a tough scripture. But these are direct words from the mouth of who? Which means we should consider them. Are you ready? The scripture tells us that those who know should be actively doing something and actively preparing for something, not just waiting. Not just waiting. We look and we marvel at the dedication, determination, devotion, sacrifice, bravery, courage of the first century church. Right? Man, they, were, they, they, they sacrificed, they did so much. But we forget why they were this way. See, they lived with an eager expectation that Christ was returning tomorrow. They had this eager expectation that he was returning tomorrow. So what I do today matters. What I do today matters. Who I talk to today matters. The time I spend with my family matters. The person I pass that doesn't know Christ, that matters. Everything matters because eternity was ever on their minds. I was talking with a brother and I was like, man, it's so funny how we don't think that way. Eternity is not ever on our minds. We have actively planned for tomorrow, right? We have a plan. We know it's Columbus Day. It's a holiday, right? You know what you're going to be doing, unless you got to work. <laughs> and you still know what you're going to be doing. You have actively planned for that. You, we, we don't actively plan that. You know what? Yeah, I got to work. I got to do that. I got to do that. But you know what? Jesus might come back. I mean, how many of y'all really do that? Like, is that an act like, 
you know, yeah, I got to. But Jesus might return tomorrow. That, that, that is a possibility. That absolute faith and eager expectation caused them to literally live on the edge of reality. Literally, they lived on the edge of reality because of that, they we were able to see the gospel start from the Middle East, go to Africa and into Europe and into Asia. Like we saw the gospel spread throughout the world because they lived with this eager expectation that what I do right now, right now matters. It makes a difference. What about us? 2,000 plus years removed from the resurrection, the world's population has significantly increased. But the amount of believers has significantly decreased. The Huffington Post had an article titled, and it was was a last year article in December, it said, the title was, Are We Finally Witnessing the Death of Christianity in America? The millennial generation has become the least church generation in America, in American history. Least church generation. My generation. This is my, I had to claim it because I checked. I'm part of it. All right? (laughs) 1980, all the way down. Yeah. Someone said no. Yeah, you there. Has the gospel lost its power? Is the Bible no longer relevant? There we go. Okay, I was just wondering. I don't know, all right? The gospel hasn't lost its power. The Bible is definitely relevant. But here is the concern. Are the lights on in the church? Are the lights on in the church? This is where I think we have to stop and ask ourselves some serious questions. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't preached in a while. It's first time back in a couple of weeks was the men's retreat. But um, I had an opportunity just to talk, hear, listen. What's going on in the church, God's church? And if I'm honest, I hear more about stories Jealousy, envy, hatred, couples falling out of love with each other, resenting one another, and are okay with it. Brothers not respecting each other, sisters gossiping about each other. Are the lights on? In the church, are the lights on? Less stories about sacrifice and servitude and more stories about desiring to be served and comforted and comfort. Let's turn to Matthew 25, or 22, Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, we see Jesus in, I mean, that whole chapter, you see Jesus pretty much in direct conflict with what I like to call his arch nemesis. Y'all know who his arch nemesis was on earth? Satan, true, but not necessarily. Religious people. 
His arch nemesis was religious folk. Pharisees and Sadducees. Right here in this chapter, you see him going toe-to-toe with them. Religious people. People so committed to the way we do things. To the way we see things that they can't see or do anything differently. Nor accept something differently. And so Jesus is going at it with them. Back and forth. First he's dealing with the Pharisees. Hits them with the parable. They're stunned, right? They can't, they can't answer it. They're stuck. Then the Sadducees come in. And they get the expert of the law to step in, right? And, and the expert of the law is like a lawyer. He comes in. He's like, I got it. I got a way to expose Jesus as a fraud. I got him. Here's the question. We'll put it out and see how he answers it. So start Matthew 22, starting at verse 34. The Bible reads, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which is just another religious sect, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, how many laws did the Jews follow at that time? Do they have? Anyone know his number? Anyone follow that? Ooh, you a bad man. There you go. 613. Ten were given by God, and 603 were added to make sure we don't break the ten, right? So, <laughs> 613 laws. So he asked him, which one's the greatest, Jesus? Now, typically, when you hear a command, they typically start with, don't ever, do not, or do this, right? But Jesus flipped it and summed up all 613 commands in just a sentence. And he said this, and I really want us to catch this, because we're going to spend some time breaking this down. He said in verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. This is deep. Because he said the second, did he say the second is less than? No, the second is equal to. It's like two wings of a plane here, right? You need them both to fly. So he's like, look, first love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then love who? As what? All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commands. So, we like to make God out to be a God of commands, right? God says we have to do, and da 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 da. We got to do all these things. But God cares more about the relationship than He does the commandments. He cares so much more about the relationship than He does the commandments. Love God 
love your neighbor, and love yourself. They say it could be translated to be at peace with God, be at peace with your neighbor, and be at peace with yourself. My question, church, how's it going with loving God this morning? How's it going loving your neighbor this morning? How's it going with loving yourself this morning? Or matter of fact, let's, let's, let's add that, that word in. How's it going with being at peace with God this morning? How's it going with being at peace with your neighbor this morning? How's it going with being at peace with yourself? Being at peace with yourself. You know, do you know that when you're not at peace with others, you really can't be happy? Like, y'all know that? Like, if you're not at peace with other people, like, it don't matter what you got, what you're doing. You're not at peace, and you're not happy. If you're not at peace with with other people, you're not happy. You are not a happy person. You know, I remember when I first got married, year one of our marriage. It was a very interesting year, to say the least. You know, we had a, me and my wife had a situation, and uh, she said something, and it hurt my feelings. I got feelings, all right? I got feelings, okay? She said something that hurt my feelings, and I was like, you know, it was at night, we were supposed to go to bed, and I was like, you know what, I ain't even going to bed. I'm going to go sit on the couch, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to show her, you know what I mean? Like, and so I sat in the couch. Now, while I'm sitting on the couch, I'm angry, and I'm expecting, right, her to realize that, man, what I said hurt him, so let me go in the living room and make amends, right? This is what I'm expecting. So I'm sitting there, I'm counting, you know. Hour goes by, two hours go by, and I'm sitting on that couch, and I'm like, she really doing this, huh? And then all of a sudden, I start hearing something in the, hearing something, oh, she, no, she's, what? She done went to sleep. I walked in there, and I'm standing all pacing back and forth, like, oh, you gonna sleep? And you just said that to me? Like, you gonna sleep? Like, I'm, I'm struggling. Year one, right? Year one, I'm married, right? And I'm sitting there like, wow, okay. You know? And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to bed. Now, I'm an emotional guy, all right? I admit that. I'm an emotional guy. So I got in the bed kind of rough, kind of bouncing the bed, you know what I mean? (laughs) Kind of snatched the blanket a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm I'm asleep, you know what I mean? Like, she didn't didn't bother, didn't move anything. Woke up next morning, matter of fact, she cooked breakfast. I'm like, oh, this is her way of saying sorry, right? She's saying sorry, right? But I was still having a little zone. I'm still in my zone. I'm like, oh, she, but she never brought it up. And I'm like, oh, she's, she's just, this girl is, you know, like she ain't even trying to be different. So I left, I left the house and I'm going out and the day was such a good day. Sun was shining, birds were singing. Every bus, I, right when I got to the stop, the bus came right on time. Train came right when I was there. Matter of fact, I found 
was coming home that day, ran into someone on the bus, was like, man, do you know of a church I could attend? They asked me this. It was a good day. And I was so disappointed. Like, I was angry. Still, all this going on, I'm angry. I come home. Now, before I come home, I'm talking with the bro. I'm like, you believe what she's doing? She ain't even acknowledged nothing. She ain't saying anything. And the bro's like, bro, well, did you tell her, like, what happened? I'm like, no, nah, man, she should know this. I ain't going to bed. I, she saw that. I, I, you know, I did all these things. I, but did you say something? I'm like, no, nah, I ain't saying anything. He's like, bro, go say something. He's like, you got to go and talk to your wife. You ain't going to have peace with a closed mouth. I remember that. I was like, oh, you ain't going to have peace with a closed mouth. Okay. Touche, bro. <laughs> so I went home and I was like, because I was like, hey, he came, gave me a hug. And I was like, <laughs> Can't give me a hug, and I was like, and so I was like, you know, I was like, Zaina, you said this yesterday, and it really like it hurt me. And she was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't even know. I struggle still a little bit. I ain't gonna lie, I'm strong. Like, yo, you just you just can't turn around like that. I, right? you know. <laughs> but man, she was super. She was she 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 was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I apologize. You forgive me. Give me right. Don't don't do it. Nah, nah. It was like, <laughs> man. I learned a valuable lesson that day. I learned a valuable lesson that day. You know, how do you have a day where everything is going well? Everything's going your way, but you're still not happy because you're not at peace with yourself. It's so that's so right? And this is what, it kind of puts onus on what Jesus is trying to say here. Like, listen, the greatest command, these aren't commands to just burden you down. Matter of fact, brother, I'm trying to help you. When you're not in a loving, peaceful relationship with me, things get hard. You're not happy. When you're not in a loving, peaceful relationship with other people, you're not, you, you're not happy. When you're not in a loving, peaceful relationship with yourself, you, you're not a, take me out the picture, you're not happy. You, you're not happy. You know, the Bible lesson I learned was that because when there is something wrong with my relationship with someone you love, things don't matter. $40, that's great, but it doesn't matter. Cool, I call all the buses, it doesn't matter. I'm not at peace with my wife. I'm distracted. I'm distracted. There was no peace in our relationship and it bothered me all day. Some of us are not at peace with someone. Some of us in here are not at peace with someone. And instead of going to make peace, you say, no, they need to come make peace with me. Instead of loving your neighbor, they say, no, they need to come and love me. We go there. 
I went there. That's what the way I, I shared the story because that was me. When I went back and I read the scripture, I was like, wow, parents. God didn't say they. God said, parents, you need to love your God. You need to love your neighbor. You need to love yourself. First Corinthians 13 says this, verse 4. Love is what? Oh, y'all know it. Good. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the... It always... It always... It always... And it always perseveres. This is the definition of love. Because we all have come into this auditorium with our own definition. I wanted to make sure we had a universal definition. Alright? This is the universal definition of love. The biblical Christian. If you're a Christian today, this is a Christian definition of love. If you're following the greatest commandment, then you have to be patient with your neighbor, not sometimes, all the time. You have to be kind to your neighbor, not sometimes, all the time. You can't be easily angered. You can't keep records of wrong. You can't keep records of... Yeah, y'all don't want to say that when I notice. Y'all can't... You can't keep records of... Wow. You can't keep records of wrong. I'm repeating that because I really think we struggle with that. I struggle with that. It's shrill. But this stops us from following the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment that's created to give you peace. It was, it was for you to have peace. So he's like, don't keep records of wrong. And you can't do it momentarily. You have to do it consistently. But you don't only do that with your neighbor. You have to love yourself. Because you'll never love someone else more than you love yourself. Really, you really don't. Like, you are kind of that standard, you know what I mean, of how you treat other people. Being patient with yourself. Being kind to yourself. Forgiving yourself. Some of us struggle with forgiving ourselves. Some of us hold records of wrong against who? Ourselves. That's real. It's real. There are people who hold records of wrong against themselves. And they don't protect themselves. Abstaining from alcohol. Taking care of themselves. Being healthy. You know, I want to wrap this up. But I want us to really understand this whole aspect of the greatest commandment was created for you. Not because God just wants to manipulate or control. He's like, look, look, I want you to be happy. I want you to have peace. Hear me on this. These things stop you from having that. 
it stops you from being that person. You know, and I can't wrap this up. I can't talk about the greatest commandment without talking about the greatest hindrance to following that commandment. The cause of all the pain, suffering, hurt, lack of love, and peace in this world is sin. It's sin. Sin is defined by falling short of God's commands or standards. That's what sin is. Sin is defined by falling short of God's commands or standards. But remember this. Whenever you think of the context of sin, hear me on this. Whenever you think of the context of sin, you've got to put it in the context of God's commands. Remember, God's commands aren't just rule-based, they're relational-based. It's relational-based. It's all about the relationship. When we put God as like this authoritative, do what I say because I just want you to do it, we forget that these commands are for you. It's so that you can have a healthy relationship. His command is given for us to be in a loving, peaceful relationship with God, our neighbors, and ourselves. But sin separates. Sin separates relationships. That's what sin does. It separates. And that's why God hates sin. Because it separates. That's what it does. Think of your last relational conflict. Think about it. Go there. Your last relational conflict. I guarantee that sin was present. Sin was present. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, if you go back, you think about it, sin was there. Someone sinned, whether it was you or the other person. You might be thinking it's the other person. It might have been you. Whatever, right? Sin was there. That's what sin does. Sin separates all the time. It separates. It's always there. When you sin against another person, you're sinning against someone that God loves. Hear that. When you sin against another person, you're sinning against someone that God loves. You can't think that you're okay with God and not be okay with someone God loves. Y'all heard what I just said, right? I I really want us to make sure we understand. You can't think that you and God are cool when you're sinning against someone that God created. That's like you walking around... You hurt my son or daughter, and you think, well, me and P, me and Paris, we cool, right? Right, Paris, we cool. I just punched your son in the face, but, yo, me and P, you know your son be acting up, P, you know? But you want to, you want to walk around like, we could, no, we ain't cool, bruh. <laughs> we ain't cool. You know what I mean? You can't. Walk around with bitter feelings and unforgiving towards my wife, but then think like, oh, but, but me and Paris, we cool. You know, Paris, it's, just, it's your wife, Paris, you know, she crazy. And you, who are you talking to? Right now, this doesn't work that way, church. It don't work that way. Hear me. 
If you are not okay with someone that God created, you and God aren't okay. Do you understand me? I'm, I'm serious. You and God are not okay. Sin separates. But not only does sin separate, but sin substitutes. Substitutes people for pleasure, family for things, friends for money, images for intimacy, and the immediate for the ultimate. Sin. Sin will mess you up. Sin makes a promise that sin can't keep. Sin always writes a check that it never had any intentions of depositing or cashing in. And we always accept it. We just keep accepting it. Sin don't love you. But at times we love it. Sin doesn't love you, but we sell ourselves out for it. Sin doesn't love you, but we will forego our families for it. Sin doesn't love you, but we will give up everything in pursuit of it. Sin always kills relationships. This is why God hates sin. Because sin always kills relationships. You go through Galatians 5, 19, all those things in that list, everything in that list, sexual morality, debauchery, hatred, greed, all those things, you know what they all have in common? They hurt someone. Someone's hurt. You can't hurt people and think you're okay with God. Doesn't work that way. James chapter 1. I want us to read this scripture. James 1, starting in verse 15. James 1, 15. It says, Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to what? Now, we could read that as like, okay, that's a real deep metaphor of scripture, but this is true. See, cute baby sin, cute baby sin, oh, look at baby sin, wouldn't hurt a fly, right? It's just innocent. You love it, a little flirting, it's just a little flirting, it's not going to hurt nobody. It doesn't hurt anyone. But when that bad boy's full grown, Someone's going to die. Something's going to die. Sin, when it grows up, will kill. See, it might be cute now. You might be, looks all innocent. I just stumbled into this relationship, friendship, situation. Okay, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't hate them. I just don't like them. I don't hate them. It's innocent. I'm just avoiding them. I'm okay, they okay, whatever, we good. Side. It's innocent. It's innocent. But that relationship is severed. There's no peace. There's no peace. We allow baby sin into our relationship. When you allow baby sin into a relationship, when it's full grown, 
Then you're looking back and you realize you never saw that person again. They're gone. Jobs lost, friends lost. But it all started out as baby Jesus. James warns us that when we let sin become a part of our relationship, it will eventually destroy us. This world is not at peace. It's not at peace with God. It's not at peace with each other. And it's, most people aren't even at peace with themselves. They're not at peace. But the church can save that. The church can fix that problem. The church has the answer. We do. We have it. We're talking about it here. We have the book. We know the creator. But if the church is not at peace with God, if the church is not at peace with each other, and if the church is not at peace with themselves, who are we saving? When you're not at peace with God, others, or yourself, you're not happy. You're not happy. And I hate watching people consistently give themselves over to a season of living out of peace, out of a loving relationship with God. Look, they, they tried to stump me. They, he, he gave them a clear answer. I want peace. By any means necessary. Even if it means it's going to cost me my very life. I, I don't care. I just want you. I want to be with you. Matter of fact, you can't do it, fine. I'll do it for you. I want you. God wants us. The church has a mission. It has a calling. This world obviously needs us. But we need to first be right with God. We have to first be able to accept God's love. See, this command that he gave, he didn't give the command and didn't follow it himself. He sacrificed everything to be in a right relationship with you. And if you are a disciple, a Christian, the word Christian is only used in the Bible like three times. Really, the real term is a follower of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to go this direction. You got to go to the cross, whether it be with your spouse, your children, your family, your coworkers. You need to be at peace with your neighbors. You need to be at peace with God. And you need to be at peace with yourself. Next week we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. Before we go there, I really want us to spend time this week meditating on the word of Jesus. Asking ourselves, am I embodying this? Am I striving to be this, not momentarily, but consistently? And to God be the glory. Thank you, church.